happy, smiling little girl runs up to her grandfather as he returns home from work. Her eyes are just as bright and beautiful as the woman who brought her into this world. But every day, the faces of both mother and daughter are slowly fading from the memories of those who miss and love them so much. Three years ago, in 2020, their lives came to a tragic and sudden end, and all at the hands of someone that they least expected. This is their story. This is the heartbreaking story of the brutal murder of Altitia and Renisha. Hello and welcome to Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast hosted by me, Bella Monsoon. I'm a mental health professional, so Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast, explores real-life crimes occurring within South Africa from a psychological viewpoint. Every week, a new case is examined and we delve headfirst into the motives that drive people to do what they do. Join me weekly on a journey into the minds behind the madness as we traverse murder, mayhem, and much more. This narrative begins like any other, because before there was violence and the ultimate acts of inhumanity, there was Altesia Koche. Close to her parents as a child, especially her father, she grew up in Delft. Delft is a suburb on the outskirts of Cape Town, situated near the airport and Cape Flats. The area consists of predominantly coloured working-class individuals. Unfortunately, though, the area is also riddled with crime, gangsterism, and a culture of violence common within many spheres of existence. And to add to that list, the high level of unemployment, increased number of broken families and lack of infrastructure just add to the tumultuous environment that so many ordinary individuals live in. But like I always state in my episodes, within all the danger and violence, there are also ordinary families and individuals just existing, trying to do their best. Individuals like Altitia. In the year when our narrative begins, Altitia was 27 years old. She had met her partner, Ryan Smith, back when they were in elementary school, and the two had fallen madly in love. Even back then, though, it was said that Ryan had different personalities, with his true colours coming out the longer one knew him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Altitia and Ryan had been dating on and off since elementary school. And during a period whilst the two were still together, in 2013, the pair had welcomed their first child into the world, a little girl, Renesia. However, a few years later, due to a declining relationship, the pair had split again. During this break, Altitia had found a new partner and together with him, she had welcomed a baby boy into the world. Javon. During this time though, Renesha was growing up, a bright and bubbly little girl whom everyone loved. At the time of her murder, she would only be seven years old, attending grade one at Balhar Primary School. During the months and years that would follow, Altitia and her children moved between her parents' home in Delft and Ryan's home in Balhar. This was owing to the fact that their relationship was incredibly rocky due to, like I mentioned, a multitude of factors one of them being that Ryan was incredibly jealous. That in itself would lead to many arguments. Towards the end of 2019 though, the on-again, off-again couple would welcome their second child into the world, a baby boy, Tyrese Tyrone. I'm sure at this point, many of you are wondering why she didn't just leave him. 
However, if you've ever experienced firsthand an unhealthy relationship or witnessed an unhealthy relationship unfolding before you, perhaps in a friend or family member, you will know that it's not as easy as simply cutting ties and moving on, especially when the relationship spanned a great deal of years from elementary school. The problems were evident though, and Alticia was edging closer and closer to making that final break. You see, Ryan had began using drugs early on in their relationship, which led to him becoming emotionally and physically abusive. Although he had ceased use for short periods of time, he would always end up relapsing. And that's what happened again in 2020, just months after their son was born. For Alticia, with her children and her infant son, this was the last straw, and she was brave enough to take the action she needed and leave him. Ultimately, for what she believed was the safety of herself and her family. Unfortunately though, the man she had loved so dearly in the years prior, the father of her children, was not going to give her up that easily. At the time, Ryan was a caretaker of student accommodation in Balhar and he also lived on the very same property. Balhar is a suburb in what is known as the Cape Flats within Cape Town. It's not unheard of for there to be gang shootings with innocent bystanders also becoming victims, with the three main gangs in the area being the Sexy Boys, the 28s and the Mobsters. Ryan also had intimate connections to this violence, with his uncle Jerome Boyson allegedly being the leader of the Sexy Boys gang. His own father, Michael Kanaki Boyson, was also sentenced to life imprisonment in 2003. So it's likely to deduce that the culture of violence that permeated the society was quite the norm for Ryan. And that in itself comes with a multitude of consequences. So as I mentioned, the relationship between Alticia and Ryan had declined quite a bit, and at this stage, Alticia was living with her parents in Delft. Around the beginning of May in 2020, Alticia had left Ryan due to him being back on drugs and physically abusing her again. She had also told him that their romantic relationship was over. He did not take well to this, with his drug use intensifying and his behavior becoming more erratic. And this had led to the 5th of June 2020, mid-global pandemonium, when Ryan had arrived at Alticia's family home in an Uber. It was just past 11pm when he had demanded his children, put them into the vehicle and taken him back to his home. There is strong indication that Alticia was neither aware nor on board with this decision. Therefore, the very next day in the morning, herself and her father Martin had approached the Delft police station for an emergency interdict. Tessia, as her parents had fondly called her, told her father that she knew that without an interdict, she would not get her children back. She knew that Ryan was going to fight her every step of the way. After standing all morning waiting in a queue for the police station in the rain, they were both turned away. Turned away even after she had explained that Ryan was abusive, grabbed the children on multiple occasions, he was violent and she was scared for their well-being. All they did was hand her an empty interdict form. They didn't even open a docket. The police station then advised her to rather go to the local court in Belleville for a protection order. However, they were only open on that following Monday and not operating at full capacity due to the lockdown restrictions in place. So not only because it was a service delivery in South Africa, but also due to the fact that it was 2020. And I'm pretty sure we all remember how that year went. 
So for those of you not familiar with the concept of a protection order in South Africa, let me break it down for you super quick. Within South Africa, and according to the South African Police Services, a protection order aims at preventing the reoccurrence of domestic violence or harassment by stating what conduct the alleged offender must refrain from doing. As long as he or she complies with the protection order, the complainant will be safe. If the respondent contravenes any stipulation of the protection order, he or she may be arrested. Once a protection order is granted, it is enforceable throughout the country. Now, I have a lot to say about protection orders, but it's not necessarily for this episode. However, at the end of the day, it is basically a piece of paper that doesn't necessarily protect anyone. Sometimes it may even make a situation worse, but it really depends on the circumstances and the individuals involved. I do think that if our police service was more on point that the protection orders would end up being more effective. But that's all I'll say for now. During this time, however, Alticia was also in contact with Ryan, expressing her unhappiness at the situation and reiterating that she no longer wanted to be in the relationship. The messages between the two highlighted the tension within the relationship. Ryan wrote in one message, Tessia, you feel bad. Always the attention seeker, never the giver. He would also go on to call her weak, to which she had responded, if you look carefully, you are the one who is weak. And his response, so you're completely upset with me. That morning, when the courts opened, Alticia was there, and she received a protection order application at the Belleville Magistrates Court. For reasons unknown, however, some claiming that she was turned away, others making more serious accusations, the protection order was never filed. It also later turned out that she was told she would only be able to appear in front of a court for the protection order in September. Deep down, Alticia knew that that would be too late. It was the following day, a Tuesday morning, when Alticia was back at work. The INJ's transport service had picked her up from their home at around 6.30 in the morning. At the time, she had been doing piecework as a fish packer for the company. The morning air was crisp and cold and it was still quite dark outside when her father had waved at her as she walked away wearing her new sneakers. A new pair of sneakers because Ryan had sold her old pair for drug money. She had still told her father, the cheek of him, daddy. And as he watched his daughter get into that vehicle, it was the last time that he would ever see her alive. Later that afternoon, when she had returned back from work, she had left to go and fetch her children at around half past four. She knew that she was not getting help from the government, from the police, from anyone. And she had to take matters into her own hands to protect her children. And so it was that Tuesday, the 9th of June, when she arrived at 66 Commerce Way, Balhar, in a taxi to collect her children. According to later e-hailing records, she had arrived just a little while before 5pm. At the home, she immediately began to pack her children's clothing items into bags so that she could get ready to leave. And it was in this moment that Ryan would strike. Ryan had led their seven-year-old daughter, Rainicia, into one of the rooms on the premises. It was here that he would proceed to throttle her small body before drowning her in a wheelie bin filled with water. He then left her body lying on the bathroom floor. After a few minutes, Alticia began to look for her child. 
We can imagine it was then that she had entered the room where her daughter had been brutally murdered. Before she could even process what was happening or what she was looking at, the fire extinguisher that Ryan had grabbed was thrust against her head several times. As she fell to the ground, he would also resort to choking her in between the brutal beatings. To ensure that she would not survive the ordeal, he also used a knife to stab her several times. Later autopsy results would detail the horrific abuse she had suffered at the hands of the man she once loved. As the life left her body, she was only 27 years old. Ryan had then left the lifeless bodies of Alticia and Renicia behind locked doors, and he had taken their nine-month-old baby boy back to Alticia's parents' home. It was just after midnight when he had arrived at the home with baby Tyrese in tow. From the onset, his eyes would later be described as not looking so lekker, not looking okay. The baby was only wearing a nappy wrapped in Alticia's top. When he was questioned about Alticia's whereabouts, he mentioned something vague about her only coming back the following day. Dorina, her mother, immediately knew that something was wrong, as Tishia would never leave her baby. And so they took the child and they waited, hoping that Alticia would be home the very next day. However, the night dragged on, and the very next day, upon his daughter still not returning home, Martin went to the police station to file a missing persons report. He also expressed his concerns that Ryan had something to do with whatever happened, and after an extreme amount of back and forth, he finally convinced the police to accompany him to the home. Unfortunately though, due to lockdown restrictions, there was no detective available to search the home, which remember was being rented out as student accommodation at the time. Whilst Martin sat waiting and praying in his vehicle, the tenants of the property assisted the police in searching the home. However, two doors remained locked that could not be entered. It was behind these locked doors that the bodies of Alticia and Renicia lay. And it was just three days later that Martin would be identifying their corpses in the morgue. But what about Ryan, you may ask? When asked, Ryan told those looking for Alticia that the pair had an argument and she had taken their daughter and gone to the police. This was apparently the last time he had seen her. And so, three days would pass before the truth would come to light. It was said in later interviews with friends and family that the police did absolutely nothing to further the investigation into the missing person's cases. And were generally unhelpful. I mean, unfortunately, I can't say that I'm extremely surprised. And it was not even through police investigation at all that the horrific scene would be discovered, but rather through Ryan's subsequent behavior and actions. Although Ryan attempted to return to normal life, those around him did not leave things there. It was after his aunt had interrogated him about the whereabouts of Alticia and Renicia that he had ended up confessing on the 12th of June. She had then told his uncle, her husband, who had then contacted the police who visited the home where the bodies were found. It is also alleged that the property at the time belonged to his uncle. After the bodies were discovered, Ryan was arrested. On the 27th of August, Alticia and Renicia were laid to rest. Their gold-covered white coffins were carried to Alticia's parents' home in Delft, where friends and family gathered. After his arrest, to the shock of the community members who were still reeling 
from the disturbing murders, Ryan wanted to apply to be released on bail. His application was based on the fact that he had no prior convictions and he had a clean record. The public were not having it, and due to lockdown restrictions, unfortunately were barred from attending court sessions. But that didn't stop their outrage. Ryan would later appear in court wearing a black tracksuit and donning a short haircut. He was described as being of medium height, fit looking, with a slender build. During his bail application, the state moved to oppose it anyway due to issues with the addresses he had provided. The hearing would prove unnecessary though as Ryan would later decide to abandon his bail application altogether. I wonder why. The case would undergo multiple delays over the months and eventual years that followed. But finally, in November of 2022, the verdict was in. Ryan Kyle Smith was found guilty of the murders of both Altitia and Renishia. He was sentenced to life imprisonment for Altitia's brutal murder and 18 years for the murder of his own daughter, Renishia. As there was a life sentence imposed, the sentences will run concurrently. Ryan was also declared unfit to work with children and to possess a firearm. The National Prosecuting Authority spokesperson would later say, and I quote, It is a case of femicide committed by a jealous, possessive, and abusive boyfriend who could not take it when his partner ended their romantic relationship. And so it may appear like some form of justice has been served, right? But the thing is, this case brought to light not only the failings of the justice system, particularly when it comes to protecting the safety and rights of our women and children, but it also highlighted the tragic state of affairs with gender-based violence in the country. Altitia and Renishia's story is not the first of its kind and unfortunately will not be the last. During a later state address by President Cyril Ramaphosa, he named both Altitia and Renesha as he spoke out against what he termed the second pandemic, referring to the shocking high levels of GBV since lockdown. He said, and I quote, These rapists and killers walk amongst us. They are in our communities. They are our fathers, our brothers, our sons, and our friends. Violent men with utterly no regard for the sanctity of human life. And just in case you didn't realize the sheer extent of the problem, it was widely reported that more than 2,000 cases of gender-based violence were logged during the first week of lockdown alone in March of 2020. That represented a 37% increase to the year prior. And although the calls to domestic violence hotlines in South Africa had increased by 69% during the first month of lockdown, it wasn't just in South Africa. It was a global increase in gender-based violence statistics during lockdown. But why? What leads these mostly men to do what they do? It's often believed that men in particular kill their ex-partners due to heartbreak or distress over the breakup. But also, more often than not, this is not the truth. Of course, it's not the case with everyone. You cannot make a blanket statement like that. However, I'm talking specifically about Ryan within this case and those like him. These men, these killers, are abusive and controlling when their partners are alive. And their acts of violence to end their partner's lives are simply a continuation of them exerting their power 
dominance, and control. To them, their significant other is viewed as an object, not a human being. For them, and it's evident, Ryan too, they would rather see their partners dead than accept the notion that they're free to make their own life choices. The more this type of violence is seen as passionate or uncontrollable, simply attached to love or heartache, the more we skirt over the big issues. Issues like domestic abuse and male entitlement. Now compound this patriarchal controlling mentality with the effects of rampant substance abuse and it truly spells a recipe for disaster. Let me give you a quick neuropsychology breakdown in regards to substance abuse. On a physiological level, the constant abuse of substances can hijack the pleasure or reward circuits of your brain. The parts of the brain that let you know that you're having a good time. Addiction can also send our emotional danger sensing circuits into overdrive, which leads to feelings of anxiety or stress when not using the substance. Repeated use of the substance can often lead to damage in the decision-making center of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that is responsible for regulating thoughts, emotions, and actions. This is also the part of the brain that is key for reasoning, problem solving, impulse control, creativity, and perseverance. Therefore, if it's injured or impaired due to repeated substance use, being able to see the harm or consequences of this repeated substance use and other dangerous behaviors is often impaired. But unfortunately, that is no excuse for committing such heinous acts. Regardless of the effect that substance abuse had on Ryan, the pain he inflicted upon not only Alticia and Rainicia, but their friends and families cannot be erased. And although he now sits behind bars, perhaps building rank or becoming even more infamous, is this real justice? Rainicia will never have the chance to finish school, fall in love, move out, or even have a family of her own. The children Alticia left behind will face a life without their mother, and with the knowledge one day of what happened to her. For Alticia and Renesia and the countless others who find themselves victims of a raging and rampant plague, you are not forgotten. You are not just another number. Your memories will live on. Today, and always. Until next week, I promise, stay safe, stay blessed, and stay the amazing human beings that I know each and every single one of you are. Bye!